Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies trekking the globes to the champions internationally. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, your open space specialists. GLG, celebrating 25 years of industry expertise and exceptional service. Find out more at glgcorp.com. Good evening, everybody. Great to be with you on a Monday night here on the 29th of June. Brett Phillips with you. If you're out in the car, drive home safe. Hope you've had a really good Monday. Plenty happening in the world of sport, as has been covered on SEN today. And we just switch a little bit of focus to the world of tennis, as we do every Monday night. You can always join the conversation, one 736 736 or on the text, 0433981116. Brett Phillips with you tonight, usually joined live by my co-host, the 2015 Newcomb medalist for Australian tennis's best performer and holder of the fastest serve in the history of the game, Sam Groth. But family comes first, so he's caught up with a dinner tonight, but he's still part of our show as you're going to hear. Well, tennis uh, back on in Australia, as we have seen at a pro level, unveiled in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. I've just uh, got the live stream on at the moment down at uh, Melbourne Park, and the matches have been uh, filing through thick and fast right throughout the day. And, of course, the fallout of the Novak Djokovic-led Adria Tour continues. And if it had been a normal year, tonight our time would have marked day one of the 2020 Wimbledon Championships. And... It's an amazing tournament. I'm sure there's many of you out there who have uh, been, who have experienced Wimbledon. It's a it's a special place. It really is. And I must say, I'm uh, missing it. But that's where Sam Groth and I started our conversation earlier today for tonight's show. It's just that place in our sport, isn't it? Where as a player, you're lucky to see it before the crowds are in. There's not a piece of grass out of place. Everything's so finely manicured. The benches are all painted perfect green. It, it's it's heaven for a tennis player. There, there's no better way to describe it. And then you stand there on the first day of the tournament, you go up to the player area and you watch them open the gates. in in that sort of orderly queue i actually get goosebumps just just talking about it because it's that amazing place and for me the first year i got to play singles there you qualify so you play out at roehampton you don't even get to grace the hallowed turf unlike the other slams where they play a qualifying event on site this one you've got to actually get into that main draw to be able to even go inside the venue and the feeling for me that first year when i qualified into the singles there i'd play doubles but it was a different feeling going for a Hampton, getting in the transport, 
going to the All England Club, picking up your accreditation, and you really feel like you're a part of it then. Do you still pinch yourself now? We've told the story of you playing Roger on centre court and people can go back through the archives and listen to the, the great account of that. But do you pinch yourself all these years later that, I mean, just to qualify and to get into the main draw is a, is a huge task, but you actually got to play on centre court, which not many people can say and are lucky enough to be sort of drawn to play on centre court. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that it's five years ago that that happened, how quickly time goes. But you know, it's still one of my favourite memories and one of my favourite photos that I've got around is a photo of me standing in front of that centre court scoreboard after I'd just won that third set. And you're playing arguably the greatest player of all time, someone who's won there however many times um, on that court, on Sportsman Saturday with all these famous sports people yeah. sitting up in the Royal Box. It's not just the you know, being on centre court, but the whole situation that I just found myself in, it was, it was really surreal. And it is, it's, it's such a fond memory for me. It's one of my favourite days, that middle Saturday when Sue Barker comes out and, yeah, all the sporting, celebrity, dignitaries, Olympians are all introduced. They stand up and wave and their, uh, their whole resume is sort of told and there's the sort of theatrical music going on. It was 50 years ago that this Australian won his fourth Wimbledon singles title on his way to completing a second calendar Grand Slam, a feat that remains unrivaled to this day. In his final year as chairman, Philip Brook will now present a special replica of the Wimbledon Gentleman Singles Trophy as part of a year-long celebration of his calendar Grand Slam to the one and only Rod Laver. So Wimbledon, it's one of my favourite parts of the day. But anyway, right now they're just sitting back and counting the money and settling up for next year. Yeah, I know. But as nice as that is, and it's good that the tournament had that security, everyone would have much rather be there. I think it's it's the one that everyone wants to peak for and be ready for. And obviously we love the Australian Open here at home. But I think it's not just tennis fans that draw draw people into Wimbledon. You know, I think it's the one that people will get up in the middle of the night or stay up late to watch. You know, I think it's sort of ingrained in us here as sports fans in Australia. It's the one that we want to watch, sort of like the Masters is for golf. Yeah. It's the one that people pay attention to. Uh, Grothy, I can still remember, uh, you know, when I was sort of grade six, year seven, year eight, mum and dad would take us away, the family holiday to the Gold Coast, the old-style motel. This is the thing about the Gold Coast. All those motels still exist with all the high-rises yeah. that have been built around it. And I remember sitting up watching Pat Cash win Wimbledon. You had to, you're on holiday. So you go, okay, we're going to get up in the middle of the night because this is huge and you can still uh, picture Pat winning and jumping up into the stands with Ian Barclay. We had Barkers on last year. So many uh, great memories of Wimbledon and uh, if we could be at one place right now to be uh, uh, SW19. Hey, tennis back. It's a little bit low-key. <laughs> I watched a bit of the UTR on the weekend. I've watched a little bit 
uh, today that's been kicking off in Melbourne. We're going to speak to uh, the chairman and the CEO of UTR, which is US-based, uh, very shortly on the program. But for a lot of our players, it's just nice to have a bit of tennis back. It is live stream, but it, it's uh, sort of fairly low-key. And uh, we're not going to see Barty. I think she's indicated that she's going to just uh, train, not play. Whether we see a Millman, a Kyrgios front up, I mean, it seems like maybe unlikely, but uh, it's, we've got some tennis back. Yeah, I mean, I guess for the players that are involved, it's great. I think it is a lot more low-key than the events we've seen overseas, obviously. Just a stream, no commentary. Uh, you know, I know the ones in the States and, and in Europe have all been picked up sort of by Tennis Channel and they've had, you know, on their platform streaming or on the actual TV. Um, would have been nice. Would have been a chance to get a little bit more exposure for our players here to at least have some sort of commentary around that. Maybe could have given us a little bit of work, BP, who even knows, but... At the same time, I think just having tennis back is great. And I think also it's an example of how tennis should be done when you talk about all the stuff that's gone on and made the headlines with, with Novak's event. To have an event that is run in the right way is also great to see. Nice little segue, uh, Sam. It just uh, It's like a, a daily uh, check-in. If you Google Djokovic, if you Google Adria Tour, what's the latest? What's the, the next part yeah. of it? Novak said to go into damage control. And well, his then, dad hasn't. No, no. We we wrote a um, a piece, an opinion piece. Well, I didn't write it. Val wrote it on uh, his father. It's not not the first time that he's come out and opened his mouth. His parents have been fairly outspoken from probably the first time we saw them here in Australia when Novak won all those years ago. But uh, Sasha's very That's doing the rounds uh, today on social media somewhere on the French Riviera. There, of course, it was six days after the coronavirus cluster and he said i deeply apologize to anyone that i put at risk i'll proceed to follow self-isolating guidelines stay safe videos come out he's in close proximity there's you know obviously a party going on drinking dancing everything else and uh, he's right at the forefront of it i know and you think with all the publicity that novak's gotten in a negative way around his event and, and the behavior that the players uh, exhibited during that and I think I saw Ben Rothenberg tweet it. I didn't know where it came from originally, but exactly right. Six days later, he's partying. And it doesn't, for a young player that has a pretty good image, I would think, you know, quite clean. Yeah. And he wants to try to keep that. The guys who are really clean the sport right now at the top in terms of the image, you think about Roger and, and Rafa, they're sort of on eventually the way out. And he can maybe step into that as being the clean cut next player that sort of takes over that, that role a little bit. And, He's not setting a great example, though, is he? When, when you see this now, and oh, who knows? I, mean, I think on the back of the Adria Tour, you just want to be doing everything you possibly could correctly. And he probably should have been self-quarantining for 14 days anyway after being in contact with the players that did test positive. Yeah. I was reading a couple of opinion pieces on the weekend that tennis is not going to be able to trust all the tennis yeah. fraternity to do the right thing here. I mean, we're all human. We've seen it with AFL footballers and all these strict protocols, where they can go, who they can see how they actually uh, fulfil their day. And we know tennis is, you know, so much bigger than AFL footy from a global perspective and the amount of participants. And, you know, does that cast more doubt now on the US Open that it can actually be successfully run? And they've stated, and we, you know, spoke to Craig Morris last week, that the players have got a big responsibility to do the right thing here. I mean, you know the tennis fraternity on the inner sanctum better than I do. You know, we've still got eight weeks to the US Open, so a lot to unfold, but uh, there's going to be a fair onus on them. Well, this is going to be the tough thing, isn't it? That can can the players, and not just the players, the coaches, you know, they're allowed three support staff, or that's what we've heard. So you can have 128 men, 128 women, 32 doubles teams, men's and women's side, of doubles ranking only, and then three people for every one of those players. 
is every single one of those people going to be able to follow the protocols that are set in place? I mean, I think someone's going to do something they probably shouldn't. I don't know what you think about it, but I think it's hard to get that many people to follow the rules to the letter to make the event successful. I think it's really tough and I want to see tennis come back. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that if people won't do it or, or are going to struggle to do it, you can't bring it back. But at the same time, it does make for a, for a fascinating watch come eight weeks time. Yeah. You'd have to think on the surface, it, it's not going to be all smooth sailing. Something's probably going to happen around the U S open, but how they mitigate that and continue the tournament, all, all that to play. I mean, who knows what the world and what tennis is going to look like in the next six to eight weeks. The other thing that I noted on the weekend, uh, Tony in the Dale, I mean, he does quite a, he does quite a few interviews, uh, Tony, and, He's got plenty of views. He's obviously lived the inner sanctum of the tour. He's now stepped aside running Rafa's Academy over there in Spain. But he says this revised calendar is, his words, disgusting, really, particularly for the top end who are going to be largely disadvantaged here because we're playing two majors in close proximity. We're playing, you know, big Masters 1000 events, all compacted in. Then you listen to Andrea Gudenzi, the ATP chief, who says, well, and I agree with him, and I said this on the show last week, that we have to start somewhere. We have, we have to get yeah. this thing back rolling again, not just for the players, but the entire industry who are important stakeholders who need to make money out of the sport. I mean, it, you'll, you'll never get it totally right, but do you think it's going to severely disadvantage the top end, such as Nadal and Djokovic? Well, I mean, everyone's got to play, and I think he's saying that because obviously he's banking on them playing more matches, those sort of guys. So... They're the ones that are defending the points and that are going to be pushing towards the back end of slams. Now, if it does, I wouldn't mind seeing some different people have a run. If it means that we get one of those guys go out early and we get a new name, flush up and maybe make a run at the US Open or at the French Open. The funny thing that I found about the calendar this week is obviously we see the Madrid Masters are still on there and then the Davis Cup has gone and cancelled the event this year played in the same city. And I did like Johnny Millman's tweet this week saying that having crowds there didn't really provide a social distancing issue for that event because there was no crowds at all in that stadium last year for the majority of the matches anyway. But, you know, I I do find some of the decision-making, and and I think that probably shows you where the Davis Cup's at as an event. I feel like they need almost a year to get themselves and and work out what they're doing as much as trying to worry about coronavirus right now. But it is amazing that you can play one event in a city and then cancel another event in the same city with the, basically the same circumstances not too long after it. It doesn't quite add up. Sam Groth and I uh, earlier today waxing uh, lyrical, and Grothy uh, not live with me alongside me tonight, but uh, we uh, will uh, feature a couple more chats uh, with uh, Sam throughout the show. Belinda Walcock also to join us, who's been uh, taking part in the UTR Pro Series in Melbourne today. And UTR is going to be our focus after the break. We're going to delve into that a little bit further. You can keep up to date with the world of tennis via our website, thefirstserve.com.au. You can go back and listen to all our past live shows, our podcasts, uh, going beautifully. Uh, Jess Moore, a great chat on uh, Aussies only last week, now in retirement, crunching the numbers, and our latest edition in the huddle, looking at that US uh, collegiate system. And plenty of written content from our team, all part of our additional content to complement our show here on a Monday night. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We're here thanks to Top Agents Real Estate, servicing all of Melbourne. If you live in this beautiful city, you're looking to move to Melbourne, looking to buy, rent, sell, 
have their property investment managed. Make contact with David and his team, 955845999 or top-agents.com.au. You can follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Back with plenty more here on The First Serve. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com. Welcome back to the first sir. Brett Phillips with you on this uh, Monday night. You can always give us a call, 1300 736 736. What's on your mind in the world of tennis? Or shoot us a text, 0433981116. Well, as we've mentioned, tennis uh, has returned the last uh, few days here in Australia with the UTR Pro Series, providing players with the opportunity to compete for around 450000 in prize money following uh, the months-long suspension of the international tours uh, due to COVID-19 and a key opportunity for players to return to tournament play. We've seen action so far in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane with tournament play in Adelaide and Perth to come in the next week. The matches are live streamed via the Tennis Australia YouTube channel. It's been on my to-do list for a little while now and that is to go into some depth about UTR, Universal Tennis Rating, which I've spoken about with plenty of people in tennis, uh, described as being the most accurate global rating system used by the world's premier tennis academies, clubs, colleges, high schools, organisations and tournaments to help increase participation and revenue. And uh, earlier today, Sam Groth and I caught up with uh, Mark Leshley, he's the chairman and the CEO of US-based Universal Tennis, to talk through UTR. Yeah, so it was started in 08. It was, a, it was a simple idea that was actually built off of the French rating system at the time. And, and Sam will be familiar with this. It's the idea that if we can rate players on the same rating system, then now we understand their level. And instead of everybody having to play the first round of a tournament, now you can insert players in the tournament based on the level they're at. That was really the French system back in the day. And when I was on the tour, you know, you go to France, you start in the quarterfinals and you didn't have to play the first couple of rounds. Um, and the other analogy here, of course, is golf. It's the idea that if you can rate every tennis player like you do a golfer and you know what level you're actually at, then now you can match up great tennis. And so that was the premise on the which just got started in 08. And, and for years and years, they built this up and ingested results. And it really was a product. Uh, we bought it a little bit over two years ago and really looked to significantly expand it and, and make just a, not just a rating system out of it, but much more broadly uh, create as well also the ability to add other technologies. And the simple thing, it's a rating system from zero to 16 rates every player on the planet, no matter whether you're a professional player or a recreational player or a college player or a junior player, uh, whether you're a young boy or an old man or and even across gender. And so now you can look at somebody who's uh, got a UTR of 10 and you can compare them in Slovakia to you know, Brisbane to the United States. And um, that's really how the system's unfolded. Um, it's become the gold standard for all college tennis in the United States. So now every college coach in America uses UTR to recruit players. We now have 61% of all college players are international players because of UTR. So they can go look at a player in Perth and say, wow, this kid's got talent. Never seen him play, but his UTR and his results says that, hey, he's at this level that he can play in my lineup and recruit him and give him a scholarship. And now what we've done is we've built technologies and proliferated this out uh, over the last two years and have established some amazing relationship, including Tennis Australia. Mark, we've just seen it obviously come to the forefront with, with a lot of these events that have been going on while we've all sort of been locked down in, in the last couple of months. 
Um, you mentioned, obviously, it's a stepping stone. It's a way to rate everybody from club level up to that professional level. Where do you see it sitting beside or, or taking over from like the ATP rankings or the WTA rankings? Or is it more of a tool to compare yourself against those players? But as you said, it, is it more for that lower level player looking to compare themselves against everybody around the world? It, it actually is a grassroots system, right? Now, it has relevance to pro tennis because we're able to look when you are playing and we take your results. And remember, the way the rating works is we just look at who did you play and what was the score. We didn't look whether you third or fourth round. We didn't look at how many points you accumulated. So it gave a real accurate measure of how well you're performing at any given time. And that's really interesting for broadcast television, tennis channel, and you know, other things like Channel 9 and, and talking about used that. It. We exactly. used it on our exactly. Wild World of Sports broadcast during the Australian Open. We get the data every morning. There'd be selected matches. And, and it was almost you guys predicting who might cause that upset because of their results on a surface. And it was incredibly accurate. I mean, we found it. Yeah. I think there were some, some big wins coming through from guys. And it was really helpful, as you mentioned, for us as broadcasters. Well, Jim Curry said it nicely uh, two years ago when he was looking. He said, this eliminates my need to do any homework on players because going into matches, I kind of know who's in what top form, who's trending, surface analytics. And so it's good for that. But the reality is that this is not about us going after the ATP or the WT or the slams. We're here to provide tools and technology to help the pro game. But what we really want to foster is a much broader establishment of a standard for all tennis players and use that as a basis to connect people find more play opportunities, find more people to connect with. You know, most federations aren't that connected to tennis, believe it or not, through technology. Even in Australia, you know, uh, as, as massive as a federation is, so much tennis is local and you only play with your couple of friends at the local club or, or recreational facility. So this is the way to connect. So, Mark, tell us what's unfolded here in Australia. I believe, just in calculating the timeline, the partnership was created around sort of 18 months ago. Now every Australian player has a UTR ranking. We've seen those displayed with the matchups with this uh, Pro Series. But just what's unfolded in the space here in Australia from the ranking rating point of view and then what you're trying to do yeah. sort of within the game here domestically in the grassroots league. So the first thing we did with, with Tennis Australia was we went in and we'd taken every match result uh, in Tennis Australia and we rated every player. So every player who's ever played a Tennis Australia event is actually rated on our system now, myutr.com. Yeah. Secondly is we now have taken and we now are creating events across the country in partnership with clubs and high schools and some of the MAs. So it goes beyond Tennis Australia. So we're trying to bring everybody onto the platform. And, and we now are rolling out and setting up what we call digital clubs across the country. What a digital club is, is essentially your classic club, except it has a digital roster where every player has a profile and here are their results and here's their rating and here are the statistics. And now that allows a community to now connect players and create play based on understanding those profiles of the players. Um, now, what we've done here most recently was that as you now have the system, you can apply that to local recreational tennis and high school tennis, but you can also apply it to pro tennis. And the partnership we just forged on UTR Pro Tennis was really saying, look, the pros are in desperate need of getting back on the court. What can we do to bring resources to bear, as well as create some interesting competitive matches? We formed a great partnership with TA on this. Mark, just on the back of that, I mean, talking to a lot of people as as you do on a week-to-week -week basis in that grassroots system. So we've had this, and Grothy can elaborate on this, we've had this Australian ranking system for a long time where every Australian player from, you know, Demonor and Barty all the way down have an Australian ranking. A lot of people have said we can do that 
a hell of a lot better. And that, you know, for example, you know, if you play pennant at club level, you, you don't get Australian rankings points, whereas under the UTR model, that would classify as a sanctioned match, if you like. So from me looking from the outside in, it seems that this would be a better system than what we've got and may keep more players at their clubs closer to home, you know, for people then to be able to afford to stay in tennis and play tennis rather than having to travel around Australia chasing points, chasing some money, that they stay. And also at that club level, they get to play, from what I'm told, older players too who can help benefit their game by those being sort of some of the matchups at times. Listen, I think you nailed it. I mean, the, the whole premise of bringing technology in like this is to make the game more affordable, first and foremost, right? So Australia is a perfect example. Sam grew up playing the game. I mean, it was a huge investment on the part of him and his family traveling around, chasing a pathway, having to go to these tournaments. So now, whether it's at that elite level where you say, look, all I have to do here is just play local matches, improve my UTR, I can become eligible now to play in a collegiate opportunity, or if I'm good enough, I mean, in theory, right now, we have people competing in this UTR Pro Tennis Series that aren't even ranked on the ATB, right? And they're competing against ATB players and WTA players. How is that possible? Because their UTR is high enough. So now... As we now open up the opportunity across age and gender, we explode the number of opportunities for you to play level-based matches in your community. And all you got to do is focus on development now, right? And then if you're good enough to play at that next level, be it an AMT, great, go play an AMT. If you want to play a college opportunity, go pursue that, et cetera. But it really is about local and affordability. And we change the game from age and gender to level-based play. That's the key distinction here. Stop thinking about tennis, about being age and gender. Think about being level. Now it's fun, right? Well, it doesn't become age once you're on tour. And a couple of the guys still at the top of the game are proving that. Mark, obviously for you, you've got an extensive background, not only in business, but also in sports. You're a founding partner and owner of the Professional Fighters League. You've got a minority stake in the LAFC, in the MLS, a, a AAA baseball team. Obviously, you're involved in all of these different things. How are you seeing how tennis has handled this crisis of the the COVID-19 and coronavirus compared to obviously all your other interests that you've got? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up playing tennis. My dad was top 10 in the world. He was a semifinalist in the open. So that's where my heart lies. You know, I, it's a talent sometimes skip generations. Well, that was probably my case, but (laughs) yeah, I gave it a run. I got onto the tour. I got up to about 480 in the world, played about nine months on the ATP and then the body gave out. So I've always had a passion for the game of tennis and and, and having be a a short participant of the Davis cup. I've always wanted to do something in tennis. Tennis is very different than these other sports. The fundamental problem with tennis is it's so fragmented. Right. And, and as much as it's a huge sport, there's actually very little money in tennis in the different components of it. Right. And so as a result, people are struggling at every turn. Right. When you talk about some of these other things, there are big leagues, there are aggregated media rights, there's sponsorship things that sort of foster the, the whole sport. Right. So the challenge for us as a, as a tennis industry now coming back on top of that, we have this mashing geography as well. Right. That because these restrictions are sitting there, how do we bring players back? And one thing is bringing back the major tours. The other thing is going to be this next level down. And sadly enough, what's happened in tennis, and you saw it firsthand traveling out there, Sam, is that the, the professional base has gotten narrow and narrow. The ITF and the infrastructure and the pathway has been really, really challenged and hasn't been able to support it. So part of what we're doing here is bringing monies and bringing in opportunities for those players to be able to chase their dream, make some money, and be able to continue to move up. 
the UTR becomes more important then out of this. If we're talking about creating more localised playing opportunities, obviously travel is going to be harder, especially for that playing group at the bottom. Now, they're going to make provisions for the top to be able to travel, every government, and they're all going to work together with the major tours. But it's at the bottom that it's going to be tough. And that's where maybe you guys really kick in because those domestic playing opportunities become so much more vital. We, we are, you know, our vision for this was we've started with Tennis Australia. We'd actually love to proliferate that around the world. We can see ourselves creating hundreds of events to bring capital in to support the broadening of the base. Below that comes obviously national pathway tournaments. We're launching tomorrow actually national championships in the United States for high school kids, juniors, and college players. So we want to support all levels of tennis so that people can have the opportunity to migrate up, be challenged, and not say, gosh, I don't have the money you know, I can't afford to do this. You know, I got to put the racket away. We've um, discussed it on our show, BP, and Mark, quite a, quite a lot about tennis maybe going down the route that golf has gone with more regional-based tours. Can you see that something that tennis maybe has to look at, more of like a European tour structure that sits under possibly the ATP tour, maybe down here it's an Australasian tour, a South American tour, and people then work their way up from that? Do you think that's something that, is an option for our sport? I, I think it's more than an option. I think it's a necessity. I mean, you, you look today at the ITF tour, the, one of the biggest challenges with the ITF tour, it's not fair. It's not equitable. Half the tournaments are in Europe. You're sitting over in Australia. You actually don't have a lot of opportunities, right? Then you go to Africa and other places. And because it's a point accumulation system, if you can't get enough opportunities to pay, now it becomes an economic thing. I got to fly to Europe to play. Yeah. The great thing about UTR is I can put 50 events up in Africa. I can put 50 events in Australia and you can all play and you can compete. And who's got the higher UTR keeps moving on, right? As opposed to a point accumulation. The other thing, of course, is you can play as many tournaments as you want. So right now what's happening is, you know, you get these tours in Tunisia and Egypt, but like they're resort models. They have like 60 events, right? And you're like, how's that fair and equitable? The guy living in Cairo can go play 50 events, right? You're living over in Australia like, that doesn't work, right? So absolutely. And I think hopefully this COVID thing will get past us, but I think it goes beyond COVID. We need to figure out how to support tennis more into these other regions outside of Europe, Africa, Asia, Australia, even the United States. There's very few events on the ITF circuit. Mark, you've got some great backers. I mean, Larry Ellison, I tried to get an interview with Larry at uh, Indian Wells uh, last year. I was told, no, he doesn't speak to the media. I think he's a fascinating person to watch from afar. Roger Federer's management company, teammate. Novak Djokovic himself, the Tennis Channel, which obviously um, you know, works in beautifully from a broadcasting point of view. Just tell us about the role they play and just how closely linked you are to their council, if you like. Yeah. Well, when, when we sort of originally set out to do this two years ago, you know, we, we wanted to not do this as like a for-profit business thing, right? This was about long-term changing the game for the better. And we wanted to bring in partners who both were great business and strategic minds, but frankly also had shown tremendous philanthropic activity as well as commitment to the sport. And what better ambassadors for that than the Larry Ellison's, than the Rogers, and even the Novaks, as well as Tennis Channel and others. And, and so we shared with them the vision of what we're trying to build. And, um, and, and they were really excited to join. And uh, they've been wonderful strategic partners and sounding boards and supporters of what we've been doing. Uh, and we're on a mission. And this is not a sprint. This is a long-term marathon. Um, there are a lot of issues in tennis. And we're ambitious enough and maybe crazy enough to try to go fix some of them. I think you've got some great insights. And I think it's people like you who've got to engage better too. So people that come from a business side of the sport 
not just from within. Obviously, the way from within has always been sort of the same way. And I think this whole year of 2020 gives us such an opportunity to just shake things up. And I, I think it's really what we need to do. It's And BP, we've discussed it for quite some time now. You know, this is the year, if there's going to be change made, make it while we're not playing. Make it while the tours have got a break and the chance to try a few things. And, you know, I love what you guys are doing, Mark. And I like the philosophy and, you know, I just want to wish you the best. Well, thank you, Sam. That's really nice of you to say. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, at first you're sort of like, holy cow, this COVID thing, everything is shut down. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the when you, we, we've gone through internet disruptions and other things, and it's actually doing times of, of turmoil and challenge that you're able to do something. Um, and so hopefully now, you know, people can get beyond their super individual interests. I do think that Tennis Australia and Tylee and his team there are about as forth thinking as anybody you're going to find, um, you know, and, you know, they're fighting uphill battle every day for the best interest of the game of tennis. And, and, you know, he's at the forefront, Craig, time and time again on pushing the envelope, but you got to bring people along and it's been exciting and, and it's been a great partnership and Craig got this right away, like right away, he stepped into this and, you know, and so we're excited to have those guys. But uh, we got a long way ahead of us. Well, that is uh, the voice of uh, Mark Lishley, Chairman and CEO of uh, US-based Universal Tennis uh, UTR. That is on uh, the tip of everyone's uh, tongue and the UTR Pro Series uh, launching the return of tennis uh, here in Australia. But it's uh, it's a system that makes a lot of sense. I'd love some feedback from people out in the tennis fraternity, 0433981116. I'll get to a couple of texts after the break of uh, your thoughts on uh, UTR. Of course, Yarra Tennis Coaching, Melbourne's award-winning coaching program, has been at Eaglemont Tennis Club since 2002. Discover more at yarratennis.com.au. Back with plenty more. The First Serve, your home of tennis. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group. Celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com. Welcome back to the first serve. We are more than just, of course, one hour on a Monday night. We're providing tennis content right throughout every week. If you miss us live on a Monday any week, you can catch up as well as, of course, taking our three dedicated podcasts. Aussies only, crunching the numbers and in the huddle, thanks to Study and Play USA. Thefirstserve.com.au is where you can log on to weekly. Our live radio and podcast pages has all our shows and podcast editions archived to listen to at your convenience, uh, whether on your phone, desktop, tablet, you can click on the web player direct, or you can subscribe to The First Serve and get all of the above via Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. And as our content drops each week, you'll get an alert to your phone. So plenty going on right throughout the week here at The First Serve. Just on the back of our chat with Mark Leshley, the chairman and CEO of UTR, just a bit of feedback on the text. I look after the pennant teams at East Camberwell. The UTR model would be amazing to keep our juniors in pennant for longer rather than chasing tournament points. We lose our best kids and the lifeblood of clubs too easily because of the lack of pathways and connections between club level and Tennis Victoria and Tennis Australia. Thank you, Arbel, for your uh, feedback. Uh, Josh, uh, well, Mark has some incredible uh, sensible ideas. Sounds extremely fair. Gives the battler a go. He has an incredible mind and so much business smarts. And also, Matt, great interview, guys. Love the way Mark is talking and explaining everything. Uh, it certainly makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, uh, UTR? In a year where, gee, tennis, uh, with so much more time to think about everything, can really transform 
One person taking part in the UTR Pro Series in Melbourne today, and she only stepped off court about an hour ago uh, from Victoria. Very close association with uh, Koo Yong. She's been a WTA professional player for a number of years. Went down the collegiate path in Florida and has got a good story to tell. Belinda Walcock, it's nice to welcome you to the first serve for the first time. Thanks very much. It's good to be um, speaking to you today. Belinda, just nice to get out and play some tennis. I was watching uh, the live stream because uh, you haven't been able to do what you love best over the last few months in these sort of extraordinary times. Yes, um, it's unbelievable, you know, what the last few months um, has brought to everyone's lives. And I think um, today being able to compete in the UTR Pro Series was an awesome opportunity. As you said, um, you know, I've, I've played pennant in the past, but being able to um, play another competition, um, you know, in Victoria, um, outside of, you know, my regular WTAs and pro tournaments, it's really nice. Um, to be home competing um, in this in this um, environment. Just your take as a player on UTR. I mean, we just had, as I mentioned, Mark Leshley from the United States giving us a, a full briefing, and we know that Tennis Australia and UTR developed this sort of partnership around about 18 months ago. We know uh, the global presence uh, UTR is certainly having now. What about from a, a player's point of view, the, the system they're rolling out? Yeah, um, to be honest, I didn't have a lot of knowledge of the UTR prior um, to this competition, I had heard of it um, very, um, uh, very frequent in the states. Um, yeah. There was tournaments, a lot of UTR tournaments over there. But as in Australia, um, incorporating the UTR system, I think this is all new for us. Um, even like the round robin um, draws, like you know, to be honest, I haven't looked at a round robin draw since I was a junior. <laughs> so um, it's really interesting to understand and see. Um, how the system works, um, it's just really refreshing and just to get all these matches under our belts um, after, you know, the, the COVID-19 um, epidemic, um, it's, been, it's been really lovely just to be back on court competing. Belinda, you chose college as your pathway. We have a podcast that we run here and we've talked a lot about the college uh, pathway on our show and it, and it seems to be maybe even more in these times a more attractive option for players to look at than trying to hit the pro ranks at that young age of 16, 17. Then you've been through you know, the ups and downs of tennis, then stepping out onto the WTA Tour. You ruptured your ACL a couple of years ago and you've had to really fight your yep. way back to get that ranking uh, back to a really uh, solid level. But what does 25-year-old Belinda Walcock say to maybe 16 or 17-year-old Belinda Walcock about the journey you've been on and, and what you would advise young players, the track they maybe should go down? To be honest, um, if I had have um, given myself advice at 16, um, it would definitely be just be myself and play to um, compete and have fun uh, because I've always loved the game. Tennis yep. is an awesome game and it teaches you so much. But rather than feeling like I have to play and win for other people other than myself, I think is um, the worst thing you can think as a tennis player, just going out there and having fun and playing the sport through the passion that you have for it. And rather than feeling like you have to prove yourself to anyone, just playing. Mm. And um, I think it's a tough sport being an individual sport. Um, and so I think you just got to make the most of every opportunity you have out there and just um, create that team around you. You know, whether it's two or three people, a coach, a fitness trainer, but just create your team and believe yep. in believe in them, and just just be um, just enjoy it out there.
Yeah, I think the more and more, Belinda, I cover this sport, you just realise how everyone's on their own journey and the definition of success is very broad in tennis, I find, just talking to so many people at all different levels of the game. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I think success can be defined in so many different um, shapes and forms. For me, I think now at 25, you know, especially during this um, period in the last three months, it's really given me the opportunity to reflect on what I'd like to do after tennis and I yeah. think I was really grateful for the opportunity that I had in the States um, doing a four-year undergraduate degree in sport management with a minor business. I can hopefully pursue that eventually but just having ideas and creating um, that mindset for myself that tennis isn't everything and I need to make sure I have that balance and it just actually naturally takes the pressure of the performance anxiety um, and it just makes me realise that you know having that um, balance is really important for me. Well said. Hey one last one for you I mean Sam Groth has spoken a lot about on this show with Mark Leshley about you know tennis maybe having more regional tours to allow players particularly from a country like Australia where we're so remote and so far away from tennis's epicentre for a good 11 months of the year that you get to maybe stay home more and, and build I suppose a kitty, if you like, to to really give yourself that uh, that base to then travel overseas and not have to sort of go on this journey at sixteen, seventeen, travelling here, there, and everywhere. All the expense that goes with that. I mean, you seem like you're keen to maybe make well as big a imprint off the court as on the court. I mean, what would you suggest in terms of how tennis should be structured? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you've made a good point there. I think being in Australia, we are extra isolated. Um, and I did two big U.S. trips last year, and it was, you know, it's a very long flight all the way to Florida and over to the East Coast. So um, doing that even for college was, was was a huge journey over there. So I think um, if we can create more opportunities, especially in the regional areas, because I know for a fact there are a lot of great regional players, and having to commute, you know, even to Melbourne is um, is a big ask. So even if there can be yeah. some type of other tournaments in regional areas or training opportunities. Um, you know, I'm, I don't live in a Melbourne anymore. I live half an hour from the city, and if it's traffic, it's an hour and a half. So, you know, it would be awesome if, um, whether it's towards the peninsula or in rural areas, that would be awesome to create that opportunity rather than always feeling like everything has to be at in the city at the tennis centre when really there's not much of a... Um, you know, environment to create relationships and a sense of community. Well, it's a fascinating time in tennis. Plenty to think about for all the administrators who get paid the big bucks to set the framework for how tennis should be played and conducted. Thank you, Belinda. Hey, nice to catch up with you. I know when I every time I go into Kuyong, they love yeah. Belinda Walcock and uh, really, really appreciate <laughs> your time. And uh, good luck. We'll keep in touch. Yeah, no worries. Thanks. A uh, big shout out to the Kuyong Foundation for their ongoing support. Thank you. Belinda Walcock joining us here on the first server break. Back to wrap up. The first serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com Welcome back. Uh, more redundancies coming up at Tennis Australia. Another 6% of staff to be cut in these really tough uh, COVID times, so we'll keep an eye on that. Who was the recent appointment at yeah, Tennis Australia still operating on one court when clubs were shut down? 
during COVID-19. The optics maybe not so great. I'll leave that one with you. $6.5 million spent on performance. We've been speaking a lot about the performance review. 210 to 220 kids in the National Academies, which works at about 30,000 per athlete. Not getting enough bang for their buck, TA, of course, making all these changes with the TA performance review. Uh, thanks to 100 Words, a network of active local communities with the aim of improving men's mental health and reducing male suicides. are doing great work. Great partner of ours. Check them out, 100words.com.au. We'll be back uh, next Monday night. Grothy and I for another big edition of The First Serve. Check us out, thefirstserve.com.au. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.